Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Today we begin a brand new teaching series through the book of Acts called When God Builds His Church. Now, why Acts? Acts tells the story of God's forming the first church, how it grew from being a small Jewish-based group uh, in Jerusalem to become a worldwide phenomenon. What caused that to happen? What can we learn from it and apply to our church today? Acts fits perfectly with this stage of our church life. We've just completed 25 years of ministry, and it shows us a blueprint for the way forward. Now, not everything that happened in Acts is repeatable, but it all gives us inspiration uh, towards church life and the power of God. Acts paints a beautiful picture of what the church is like within itself and within its community and its world. Internally, we see the community and the fellowship and the spiritual disciplines and the life together. And then externally, we see it interacting with a society around it that is very opposed to its message. That's very much like what we face today. It fits our vision here at Harvest of making disciples who make disciples. Um, that's exactly what happened there. It reflects our church values, all six of our uh, what we call pillars that our values that establish our philosophy of ministry here are prominent in Acts. Worship, disciple making both locally and worldwide, uh, community, the word, prayer and grace. It fits our ministry strategy as we see God cause dead people spiritually to come to spiritual life. That's live. And then we see them grow and then we see them go. So it's all about God and his building the church. The first sermon in this series today is from Acts 1, 1 to 8 called Still at Work. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, the context of this is that after Jesus rose from the dead, he met with his followers to instruct them about how they were going to be a part of continuing his ministry on earth. These first followers 
did not know that he was about to leave them and ascend into heaven, which is, comes in the verses that follow our passage today. He is not going to do, continue to do ministry on earth himself. Rather, he is going to continue doing ministry, but he's going to do it through them. And that's why uh, Luke, the writer of Acts, says in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Luke wrote this. Theophilus maybe, maybe was the benefactor. It was written uh, uh, to him. And in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, we see Jesus beginning to work. We see him doing. We see him teaching. That's what verse 1 is about. Hey, remember Theophilus? That's what Luke was about. Uh, until the day, verse 2, it lasted how long? Until the day was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen. Now, this new book, Acts, is going to continue what Jesus began in Luke. And th those instructions were given through the Holy Spirit. Jesus' teaching was marked by divine power and authority. Uh, Acts is about Jesus and his work. What if I told you that you could be an integral part of the most important organization in the whole world, well, an organization that really is an organism? What if your life could be meaningful long after you die? What if you could be part of seeing people's lives changed for the better, marriages and family healed, people living in peace and harmony and love. That's the ministry of Jesus. That's the church. That's the church that he gave himself for and that he started. Now, this church hasn't yet been formed when we come to Acts 1. It's about to be formed in Acts chapter 2. How will he do it? How will he form it? That's the series that we enter into today. It's going to take us through the book of Acts, and we're going to learn what happens when God builds his church. How does he build it? How did he build it then? How is he building it now? And how will that help us today? Verse 3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. After Jesus rose from the dead, there was no doubt that he was alive, and he proved it. Otherwise, they would not have done what they did. They, these first followers gave their lives for them, many of them. I mean, they literally were martyred. Why? Because this man who walked and taught among them then rose from the dead. And he talked about the kingdom of God. In the ministry of, the kingdom of, uh, of Jesus, the kingdom of God drew near, Mark chapter 1. Mark 9 says the kingdom was released in power by his death and exaltation. And yet right now, it hasn't been fully realized yet. It, the kingdom of God has begun. The inbreaking of the kingdom of God has started. And we kind of live in this in-between time. The kingdom's not fully established yet, which is going to happen in heaven. But we belong to a spiritual kingdom that's just as real. And part of that being, belonging to that spiritual kingdom is our responsibility in that kingdom. And that's what Jesus is going to lay out here at the beginning of Acts. There are some very specific things, three in fact, that he wants his church to do. The first one is this. He wants us to wait for power 
rather than using self-effort. Notice how he starts in verse 4. They're sitting around. One occasion while he's eating, they're just eating. And he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized by the Holy Spirit or with the Holy Spirit. Now, some background is helpful here. Think about Jesus and his earthly ministry. When he physically was baptized in the Jordan River by John the baptizer, what happened? Luke 3 says the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. You've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit right there because God the Father says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Holy Spirit, Jesus' ministry was enacted through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, later, in John chapter 7, he goes to the Feast of Tabernacles, this Jewish feast, and he stands up on the last day, and he says to them, whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus is saying, if you believe in me, you're going to have the Holy Spirit, and it's just the, the power of the Holy Spirit is going to be like rivers of living water flowing through you. But it hadn't happened yet because Jesus had not died and been glorified yet. Well, then at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, after he died and was buried and rose again, what we know to be the Great Commission, he told those first followers, go make disciples everywhere. Go make disciples of all nations. He's given them a charge. He's given them a commission. He's given them a task. And so here they are now. In Acts chapter 1, they, they're gathered together. Jesus has risen. He's appearing to them. And what are they going to do? They have a task. They have a commission. They're going to go change the world, right? So how did Jesus want them to do it? Hey, guys, go. <laughs> go do it. Use your human ingenuity. Make plans, have a lot of sessions, have a conference, figure out the best strategy. <laughs> no, he said something very unusual. Hey, wait, <laughs> wait. We go back to verse four. J just, I've told you what to do. It's urgent. The world needs you, but just, just wait because he knows they can't do it on their own. He knows they don't have the power to do it. He knows no human being can change somebody's life. And yet he's going to call them to present a message that is life-changing. So he says, wait. Wait for what's been promised. What was promised? The Spirit was promised. As far back as the Old Testament, Joel 2, Joel saw this vision that the Spirit was going to come. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, what, what does this mean? Uh, some people have misunderstood it and taken this to mean something that happens after salvation, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is what happens at conversion. When a person is saved, the Holy Spirit comes and just changes them completely, gives them new spiritual life, places them into the body of Christ. 
1 Corinthians 12, 13 says, for we were all baptized in one spirit into one body. So it's, it's everything that the Holy Spirit accomplishes at the moment of conversion, at the beginning of the Christian life. Now, they had not experienced it yet because they lived on that side of Pentecost, that side of Acts chapter 2. In a few days, it's going to happen. <laughs> they are going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. He is going to come on them and in them. And we'll, Lord willing, see that in a few weeks when we get into Acts 2. We'll learn more about that. But for now, the focus is that he wants them to wait for power rather than using self-effort. He doesn't want them to go do this by themselves. The second thing he wants his church to do is to adopt his priorities as their priorities. They're sitting around. They gathered around him, verse 6 says, and they ask him, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates. The Father is set by his own authority. See how Jesus answered the question? He shifts the emphasis away from this restoration of the past to the transformation of the present. <laughs> the question reveals that they had still, they still had a different understanding after all the time they had spent with Jesus. Maybe they had different priorities concerning the work of God's kingdom. Their priorities seemed to be a temporal, physical kingdom. It involved a territory and a political dominion. Jesus, are you going to establish that? And Jesus' priority was a spiritual kingdom. Now, the traditional Jewish understanding was that the Messiah would come to liberate them from the oppressive hand of Rome. Their priority was a national kingdom. Are you going to, are you going to establish the kingdom for Israel? Well, Jesus' priority was an international kingdom. It's not just going to be for Israelites. It's going to be for Samaritans and Gentiles. It's going to go to the ends of the earth. Their priority is Jesus restoring the kingdom immediately. Are you going to do it now? Is, are we going to be done with this? And Jesus' priority is to use them to build the kingdom gradually. Their priority may also have included personal power, you know, the authority. Uh, like they might be some of the rulers in that kingdom. Jesus' priority was spiritual power and to witness and to serve. So Jesus doesn't answer their question the way they expected. But not only does he discourage them, discourage them from focusing on times and dates, he answers their question, like, is this the time? He answers it by talking about power. <laughs> power is part of a kingdom. But again, power in God's kingdom is different than other human kingdoms. Rather than being spread by soldiers, this kingdom is spread by witnesses. Rather than being spread or involving violence, it brings peace. So it, he wants them to have his priorities. I, that's so important for the church today. We, our priority shouldn't be trying to figure out the exact moment that Christ is going to return. Nobody knows that. It's not for you to know the dates or the times. The priority of the church is not social justice. The priority of the church is not to make people's lives better. In the last year or so, our country has just gone an undergone a major upheaval. Uh, and social justice has become a rallying cry. And if we're not careful, the church will get sucked into the spirit of the age. So that 
we may focus on something that, though it has worth and merit in itself in certain contexts, it's certainly less important than the priorities that Jesus left for the church. It's Jesus' church. He sets the priorities. He doesn't want us to be taken up in these other things so that we miss what is most important. This is crucial for us, Harvest, right now. That certainly as individuals, let's say this, let's make sure we say this. We, we do care about these things. We do care that people are treated well and treated right. And we think social justice in certain ways is a, uh, in certain contexts, if it's carried out biblically, is is an appropriate way to love others. But, but it cannot override our mission. It can't become our main task. Because Jesus' main task is so much more important and has so much more eternal ramification. Now, sometimes the ministry of helps, helping others and doing good things in their lives, teaching them to read, giving them food, things like those. That's good. That's a way to show love. And sometimes that's a part of our mission. It's a part of our process. But let's make sure that it's part of the process that leads to the gospel. Uh, I read about a guy the other day who uh, was fly. I used to live in Chicago for nine years, terrible winters. And, and, he, and he flew in, in in the middle of a snowstorm and he met somebody from another religion in another country on the flight. And he was talking about how his wife was going to have to get out, you know, and drive an hour or something to pick him up and in the bad weather at night and all this. And the guy just offered to, offered to hey, I'll, I'll, I'll drive you out. And it was just amazing. He showed love. And as they're going along, the guy asked him, why, why, did, you, why did you do that? Uh and he said, well, have you ever done anything? Have you ever had anybody do something for you that you didn't deserve that was so kind that just changed your whole life? And the guy kind of mumbling. He's like, well, that's what Jesus did for me. You see, he, it, was, it was doing good that led to sharing good. Well, Jesus wants them to adopt his priorities. Hey, guys, don't focus on the times and seasons. But here's the third point, and that leads right into verse 8. He wants his church to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And witness everywhere. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, to understand this passage, remember that it occurs at a certain point in the history of salvation that is different from the point of salvation where we li- history where we live today at that point the holy spirit was active on, in the world and he came upon people for certain tasks but he had never lived inside of god's people based on what jesus accomplished after he left the world physically he didn't want his followers to be left alone to do god's will on their own efforts so he planned to send his spirit the Holy Spirit, to live inside of them and to indwell them. They hadn't experienced that yet. They were about to in Acts 2. And he says, so when he comes on you, this is what's going to happen. You're going to be empowered and you're going to be my witnesses everywhere. The main reason on the day of Pentecost that there were these accompanying miracles like the sound of wind and these new languages is because it showed them that God was doing something new. 
Now, today, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit has already come to indwell believers, and He indwells you. He lives inside of you. And now what we need is to surrender to Him, to be filled by Him, to be controlled by Him. What Paul says in Ephesians 5, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Yield to Him. Literally, allow yourself to be filled by the Spirit's in the passive voice. Now, prayer isn't the only component of being Spirit-filled. There's also obedience to God, Galatians 5, and being saturated with Scripture, Colossians 3. We put all this, all this together, and, it, and we yield to God, and He fills us. Holy, the coming of the Holy Spirit was described in Acts, but all along the way, we're going to focus on some things that are described and what is prescribed for us. What is now prescribed for us is a daily yielding and filling. And yet it's obviously still valuable for us to look back at the incredible things that happen through the power of the Holy Spirit so we can be encouraged by God to give over complete control of our lives to him and to seek his filling for our lives and our church. You know, in some ways, uh, if we go back to Acts 1.8, Acts 1.8 is like a table of contents for the whole book. You've got Jerusalem. That's what happened in chapters 1 through 7, the, the, the events that were happening in Jerusalem. Then in chapter 8, uh, you get Judea and Samaria, ministry there. And then in chapter 9, Saul is converted. Obviously, his name was changed to Paul. And that leads to the rest of Acts, to his missionary efforts, which took them to what they knew at that time to be the ends of the earth. Let me put this map up. There you see Jerusalem, the city where it all started. Um, that's chapter one, chapters 1 to 7. Uh, and then Judea and Samaria, uh, that would be like their own country. Uh, uh, Judea would be their own country, and Samaria would be further into their continent. That's what happened. And then as Acts continues, we get from chapter 9 on, the ends of the earth. You notice on that map all the, some of the places they went in these missionary journeys, and you see some of these cities you'll recognize from your New Testament, Philippi, Corinth, Ephesus, Rome, etc. I think today's Christianity, for the most part, has softened or ignored this command of Jesus to be a witness everywhere. Our, our command is not just a witness next door, but the whole world is our neighbor to the ends of the earth. We, there's no option for us, if we're going to be biblical, to not witness locally. There's no option, if we're going to be biblical, for us not to be mission-oriented and mission-minded and mission-involved. It has to be a both and. It's both local and global. We need to reach the people with the gospel who live on 1040 Main Street, as well as those who live in the 1040 window. Now, let's be real this morning. Being Christ's witness for most of us, is it easy or hard? If I were to ask you that on a scale of 1 to 10, uh, 1 being the easiest, 10 being the hardest, what is it for you? What would you say? It'd be interesting to know what your number would be. Most people would probably put it pretty high. I don't think it's easy. I don't think it's natural. 
especially in our culture, because our culture cancels anyone who says or does anything that anybody finds objectionable. So how can this happen? <laughs> uh, it happens when the Holy Spirit fills us. And what is a witness? A witness involves making a statement. This is true. I know it because I saw it. It happened to me. <laughs> That's what a witness is. I, I, I saw it. You, you go tell people about it. Now, let's think about what witnessing is and isn't. It, it isn't high-pressure high confrontation, getting in people's faces like a car salesman. It's not the same as apologetics, which is important. That's a rational defense of the faith. It's not a task for Bible scholars only. It's not trying to close the deal necessarily every time, like an all-or-nothing mentality, like, okay, if I'm going to talk to this person, I've got to go all the way through and tell them everything about God and everything about their becoming a Christian. No, it doesn't require all of that. It's not. It's also not just loving behavior only, though that can set the table. It is telling others what you have seen and experienced. Telling them by your life and telling them by your words at an appropriate time and an appropriate manner. So when God builds his church... Here's what happens. When God builds his church, the Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be witnesses for Christ everywhere. That's, that's what happened. The Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be witnesses everywhere. This is happening in a lot of places throughout our world. In his book, from just a few years ago, Witness Essentials, Dan Myers noted some important uh, happenings. In 1900, Korea had no Protestant church. But now over 7,000 churches just in the city of Seoul alone. At the end of the 19th century, the southern portion of Africa was only 3% Christian. But today, that's over 60%, with churches in Africa increasing by 34,000 people a day. In India, 14 million of what members of the untouchable caste have become believers in Jesus. More people in the Islamic world have come to Jesus Christ in the last 25 to 30 years than in the entire history of Christian missions. Worldwide, it seems like there are more than 500 churches a day being formed. But he concludes the irony is that except for the Middle East and Europe, in America, Christianity is expanding everywhere today. And where do we live? We live in one of those three places, America. Let, let, let's be real. Unfortunately, neither our church nor the church in America as a whole is growing by conversion. I'm thankful for those that are being saved. We have been privileged to see people saved and baptized, but what we uh, see in America and what we see in our church is not a lot of conversion growth. We've got to be honest about that. The median church size in America is 75. Most churches in America are not growing at all. And those that are growing, for the most part, are growing by what we would call transfer growth. People move to an area and look for a church, or they move from one church to another for various reasons. But there are so many people that are lost right here 
in Charlotte, in Huntersville, in Concord, in our area. So many lost people, so many lost people in the world, entire groups of people, unreached people groups who have never heard the name of Jesus. Uh, now, we know that we can't control the results. That's in God's hand. The fruit's in God's hand. God is sovereign. Salvations are in God's hands. It's not up to us to save people. We, we don't have any control over that. But what we do have control over is to ask ourselves, are we obeying the commands of Christ? Are we being the kind of church that God wants us to be, including the commands that he gives right here in Acts 1? We can ask, are we praying? Are we waiting? Are we being empowered by the Holy Spirit? Still at work. Yes, God is still at work in this world. He's still building his church. Don't you want to be a part of it uh, by being close up rather than sitting in the nosebleed seats? Well, here's, here's a couple of responses, I think, based on this passage that we can do this week. First of all, wait on God in prayer. They waited on God, and we're going to see in just a few verses, we'll see in, in a couple of weeks, they prayed together. They waited on God in prayer. And even though, again, the salvation history was a little bit different, the principle is the same. Waiting on God in prayer precedes working for God in power. And the second thing I want to challenge you to do is to ask God to fill you and our church with the Holy Spirit to witness. When's the last time you asked God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. It's a command to be filled. When did you ask him? When did you yield to him? Hope, hopefully that's a daily thing. And, a, and another good question is, when did you ask that for other members of our body? Here's a very simple way to put this into practice. Here's a very simple prayer that I want to ask you to consider praying for every single member of our body over the next couple of months. Lord, will you fill Jane? Will you fill John? with the Holy Spirit, and give them power to be a witness for Christ. Now, in person, we're going to have these on bookmarks, and we're going to we're spread our congregation out over a couple of months, and there'll be like three or four people a day that we'll just ask you to pray for, to pray this specific prayer. It's also available on our website, so you can, you can check that out, and you can see this coming week who to pray this prayer for. Would you please just just pray this prayer. Pray it for yourself and pray it for others. We, we want to be this kind of church. Again, the fruit is in God's hand. The results are in God's hand. But let's seek him. Let's, let's pray to him. Let's, let's seek to be used by him. Sam Storms, uh, in a book, Practicing the Power, uh, says, imagine that you decided to go sailing. The problem is you don't know anything about sailing. So you go to the store, you purchase several books uh, to find out what's involved. You read them, and then you go talk to a veteran sailor who, who knows uh, what to do. Uh, the next day, uh, you rent a sailboat. <laughs> you examine it very carefully, make sure it's in good working order. You take you and your boat out to the lake. And you're you're excited about this. Uh, you're a little bit afraid, a little bit nervous, but you know you follow the instructions that you've read, 
you follow the counsel that you've received from the experienced sailor and you launch your boat into the water. You're monitoring every step and you hoist the sail. And then he says, at that precise moment, you learn a crucial lesson. You can study sailing. You might even be able to build a sailboat. You can seek from the wisest and most veteran of sailors. You can cast your boat into the most beautiful of lakes on a bright and inviting sun. You can successfully hoist the sail, but, and this is a big but, only God can make the wind blow. Only God can make the wind blow. Acts is about God making the wind of the Holy Spirit blow on and through his people as we serve him to reach our world. That's what happens in Acts. God empowers his people. He indwells them. He comes in them. And he's the power. And we are like that boat. We can have all of the right things in our church. But we need the power of God. We need the breath of God. We, we need God's anointing and the power of his Holy Spirit. When God builds a church, the Holy Spirit empowers God's people to be witnesses for Christ everywhere. Oh, Lord God, that's our desire for harvest. Will you fill the people of harvest with the Holy Spirit? There's so much in this world that's out of our control. There's so many needs locally and internationally. We, we tend to be busy and scared and unsure if we can do it or how we can do it. But Lord, we know you can do it and we just want to see you use us. You have the power. You're our God. We love you. We commit our lives. We commit our church to you in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.